Amen. Well, I'm going to read now from the letter to the Philippians. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, you can. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 1, verse 1, down to verse 11. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've revealed to us. And we pray now that you would uh, pour your spirit in power upon Dav so that it would be your words we hear this evening. We would be taught and encouraged and rebuked and challenged from your scriptures. We thank you for them. We pray they would change us. Amen. Very good evening to all. It is a privilege again uh, to open up God's Word with you. If you do have a Bible, will you please turn to Philippians chapter 1, page 1178 in the Church Bibles, 1178. So we've started a new series in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be studying this book for the next four months, I believe, on Sunday evenings. So last week, we had a little introduction to the book of Philippians, and I won't repeat myself too much this evening. I'm sure we'll be able to listen to the introduction again online, but... As we can see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it looks like the book of Philippians is a letter. 
What does it say? Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So the book of Philippians is a letter from Paul and Timothy, and it's probably the apostle Paul speaking, and maybe Timothy, his little apprentice, writing down what Paul is saying. That's probably the case. But it's so important to note that word, servants. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So what Paul is speaking and what Timothy is writing down, they're serving Jesus by doing that. So this is Jesus' work. What Paul is communicating with the church at Philippi is what Jesus wants to say to them. So it's so important that we remember that this isn't just a historical text, the book of Philippians. It is the living word of God. It is God speaking 2,000 years ago to the local church at Philippi, but also speaking to us today. This is the living word of God speaking to us. So it's a letter being written to a local church at Philippi. How do we know it's a local church? What do we read? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Because that's what a local church is, isn't it? A local church is a people who've been made holy by Jesus Christ. And that's what we are this evening. If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've been made holy, we've been made clean, pure, by the shedding of Jesus Christ's precious blood. Isn't that amazing? And what else does a local church have? A local church, a biblical local church, a well-functioning local church, as overseers or elders and deacons. And I think that's so important. If we want to really understand the book of Philippians, we have to belong to a well-functioning biblical church. If we want to understand the book of Philippians and really put it into practice, it's so important that we belong to a biblical, well-functioning local church. But before I go on to verses 3 to 11, I'd just like to touch on verse 2. I didn't really get a chance to speak on it last week. So what do we read there? Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. So in Philippi, the city of Philippi, this Roman colony in Macedonia, sort of this leading city in the Roman Empire, you probably would have had two Greek people in Macedonia, in Philippi, and what would they say to each other if they met met each other in the streets? They'd have said, Charis, isn't it? Grace, Charis. What do we say to each other? Right? (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) Right? Or whatever, or... Just a nod or something like that. It's so much better, isn't it? Grace. Isn't that such a powerful word? That when we see each other, we say, grace. And what does grace mean? It means favor or kindness, isn't it? Favor and kindness to you. Could you imagine if Michelle said that to you when you came to the door this evening? (laughs) Favor and kindness to you. What's wrong with you? (laughs) We'd probably say, isn't it? 
But it, we need to maybe change the culture that we speak like that to each other, isn't it? Favor and kindness to you. But also in Philippi, you'd have had Jews living there. So Jews lived all over the known world at the time. And we know there must have been Jews living in the city of Philippi, because no doubt, I think Lydia would have been Jewish. Do you think so? Because she's described as a worshipper of God. So she knew there was a God, and she was trying to worship him. And if there was a city where there wasn't a synagogue, what the Jews would do on the Sabbath, they would go to the river to pray. That's like a Jewish tradition. If there wasn't a synagogue in the city, then the place to go is to the river, isn't it? By the river, they would worship God. They would pray to God. So no doubt there were Jews living in the city of Philippi. And what do Jews say to each other when they greet each other? Do they say, right? What do they say? Shalom. Yeah, shalom. Peace, isn't it? Peace. And it's almost like health, isn't it? Or tranquility, health to your soul, tranquility to your soul. Grace, favor, kindness, and peace. Tranquility, health to your soul. So when the gospel comes to the city of Philippi, in this local church in Philippi, you've got Lydia, a Jew, and you've got a Greek person, the Philippian jailer, who might have been called Stephanos, and they say grace and peace to each other now. Isn't that quite cool? So Lydia would see the Philippian jailer. She would say, Charis, Salom. And then the Philippian jailer would say back, Charis, Salom, back as well. Grace and peace to you. And that's the church a place of grace and peace. All of the Apostle Paul's epistles start with grace to you, and they all end with grace be with you. God's undeserved favor and kindness, and God's tranquility, God's health for your soul. So when we meet with the church, when we meet together like this, on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and in the midweek, we should receive grace through each other from the living God. Isn't that quite something? The local church is amazing, isn't it? The local church is a place we go to to receive grace and peace through each other from God. The Lord Jesus Christ dispenses his grace and his peace through his people. And I think that's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Grace and peace. So what about verses 3 to 11? Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I think you can split Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, into two sections. So the first section, verses 3 to 8, is Paul's passion... It's a lot of P's here. Paul's passion for the Philippians. And then verses 9 to 11 is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. So verses 3 to 8, Paul's passion for the Philippians. 
And then verses 9 to 11, Paul's prayer for the Philippians. So let's begin with the first section, verses 3 to 8, Paul's passion for this local church at Philippi. What do we read there? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You really see the Apostle Paul's passion, don't you there, for the local church at Philippi. But the big question is, why is Paul so passionate about this local church at Philippi? Why is Paul so thankful for this local church at Philippi? Why is Paul always filled with joy whenever he prays for this church at Philippi? Well, the answer is found in verse 5, isn't it? What do we read there in verse 5? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then the question is, how did the local church at Philippi partner with the Apostle Paul in the gospel? So the Apostle Paul's like, I love you, local church at Philippi. I'm so passionate about you. I'm so thankful for you. You fill me with so much joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So how did they partner with the Apostle Paul? Well, the answer is found at the end of the book, specifically how they partnered with him. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. What do we read there? Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even... When I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So the church at Philippi partnered with Paul in the gospel. How? By giving him money towards his gospel missionary work, wasn't it? They were generous in their giving towards the Apostle Paul's missionary work in the whole known world at the time, particularly in Europe. What do we read then in verse 6? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul has this confidence about the local church at Philippi. He was so confident that the local church at Philippi would be made complete, would be made perfect in glory when Jesus returns. 
How could you have such confidence? Have you got that confidence in some people? No doubt, without a doubt, I know this person is going to be in glory. I know that person is going to be in heaven. Why was the Apostle Paul so confident that everyone at this local church in Philippi would be made complete, perfect in glory when Jesus returns? Well, because they partnered with him in the gospel. And that is proof that someone has been genuinely saved, isn't it? That they become partners in the gospel. Now, if we asked someone who'd professed faith, if someone says, I've come to trust in Jesus, I've repented of my sins, I believe that Jesus is God, I believe that he died for me, rose again for me, and I want to follow him as my Lord and Savior. I believe I've been saved. And then we tell the person, that is amazing, that is glorious. Will you partner with us now in the gospel? Will you get baptized and join the church, partnering with us in the gospel, serving and giving towards the Lord's work in the church, through the local church? And if this person says, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And if they persistently sort of said no, and were quite strong, and they didn't have any legitimate reasons, I'm not sure if we could have confidence and say, oh, without a doubt, that person is genuinely saved. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure if we could confidently say, oh, he who began a good work in that person will carry it out to completion. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can confidently say, yeah, of course that person's been saved. But if they're adamant, no way am I getting baptized. No way am I becoming a partner in the gospel. No way am I joining a church. Then you've got to say, well, I'm not sure. They, they might be saved, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can say, like the Apostle Paul, I can confidently say that God who started a good work in this person will carry it out to completion. But the Apostle Paul could say that about the local church at Philippi, couldn't he? Because they were serving with all their might, weren't they? They were being so generous and loving. But if someone is being deliberately and persistently disobedient to the Lord Jesus' commands, then you've got to say, ah, there's a little question mark there, a little question mark. But what do we read then in verse 7? What do we read there? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Now he's getting really sort of soppy there, isn't he? I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So why does Paul feel this way about the church at Philippi? It is right for me to feel this way about you. Why does Paul feel this way about the church at Philippi? Why is he so in love with this local church at Philippi? Why is he so passionate about this local church at Philippi? Well, it's the end of verse 7, isn't it? 
all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul is saying, you share in God's grace with me. All of you have genuinely been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I think that is such a challenge. Such a challenge for us. We should feel the same love and passion towards everyone who's been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We should also be able to say, all of you share in God's grace with me. So I've got incredible affection towards you. I am passionately in love with you because you share with God's grace with me. So it's such a tragedy, isn't it? When two Christians don't get along. What a tragedy that is. What do you mean you don't get along? What do you mean you deliberately avoid each other? Are you sort of constantly in a mood with each other or rude with each other? You've both been saved by grace. You should be in love with each other. You should be so passionately in love with each other in a pure way because you've both been saved by God's grace. Yeah, we're all sinners, aren't we? And occasionally we fall out. But as soon as possible, it should be, oh, this is ridiculous. This is silly that we're avoiding each other, or that we're being rude to each other, we're giving the cold shoulder to each other. Look, we're both hell-deserving sinners who've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We've both been saved by the precious blood of Christ. Let's forgive each other. Let's love each other. Let's get along. Let's serve side by side for the gospel. I remember being in a conversation once, and it was a while ago. It was when uh, George Bush, do you remember him? George W. Bush the guy who was the president of the United States of America before Obama. So was it in 2001? He was president of the United States of America. He was certainly the president of the United States of America when the September 11th uh, tax happened. Uh, And I remember one Christian saying, oh, I can't stand George Bush. And in the conversation was the pastor of the church. And he knew someone who was quite involved in George Bush's conversion. Apparently, he has been genuinely saved. Uh, I have heard him say once, someone asked him a question, who is the most, who is your favorite uh, philosopher? And he answered the question, the Lord Jesus Christ. And said, why? Because he changed my heart. So I think he probably is saved if he says that he's had a new heart from Jesus. But apparently he used to be quite a strong drinker. And uh, in 1985, he had a, like a, a conversion experience. He went through sort of rehab, a Christian rehab. And this pastor knew someone who was there at the rehab when he was converted. So this pastor turned to the girl who said, oh, I can't stand George Bush. And he, he sort of explained, you, you do know that he's a brother in Christ. You know, obviously he's a sinner. Maybe he's not perfect, but he's a brother in Christ. 
And then this woman said, oh, just because he's a Christian doesn't mean I have to like him. I said, mm, I think you do. <laughs> you should be passionately in love with him. Why? Because you share in God's grace with him. You're a hell-deserving sinner. George Bush is a hell-deserving sinner. But you've both been saved by grace. And you should both love each other. You're going to spend eternity with him. Such a challenge, isn't it? We should be passionately in love with people who've been saved by God's grace with us. And then what do we read in verse 8? God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What he's basically saying in verse 8 is how I long to be with you. I can't wait to see you. I long to sort of see your faces and spend time with you. And I think that's such a challenge. Do we feel like that on a Saturday night? I can't wait till tomorrow morning because I will see so-and-so, this person, that person. I can't wait till Sunday night. I will see so-and-so again. I can't wait till Wednesday night or whatever, isn't it? And we all know people that we long to see, don't we? I said, oh, I just love spending time with so-and-so because they just love Jesus so much. I always feel so much better after I've spent time with so-and-so. Whenever I speak to a certain person on the phone, um, I sometimes just sort of just think about after what they've said to me. And then Hannah sometimes says, what's wrong with you? Why are you smiling to yourself? I said, oh, nothing. I've just been speaking to so-and-so on the phone. And then I'm smiling. I said, you need to speak to him more often. <laughs> and then Hannah would say, do you sometimes feel like that after you've been with someone? Oh, I just had such a great time with whoever, isn't it? That's how we should feel about being feel free church, isn't it? Oh, I just can't wait to see Luke again. I just love spending time with him. So we should be the type of people people love to spend time with. And we should love to spend time with other people. We should have this affection. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. I remember someone um, uh, when I was in uh, another church. um, Someone uh, wasn't there on the Sunday. And when I saw them the next time, he said, Oh, we, we missed you on Sunday. I said, oh, were you unwell? I said, no, no, I wasn't unwell. Oh, were you on holiday? No, no, I just needed a Sunday off. And they said, sometimes you just need some time away from church people. What a sad comment, isn't it? That someone said, I just have to have a Sunday off. Sometimes you just need to have some time out from church people. I said, oh, what a tragedy that someone feels like that. How would the Apostle Paul respond to someone who says that? I, I got to have a Sunday off. I just need some time away from church people. What would the Apostle Paul say to someone like that? He'd just be like, no, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, sorry. I, I don't get you. I don't know what you're talking about, but you're not talking about church. Because <laughs> a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't feel like that about church. We should long for each other, isn't it? 
Can't wait to see that person again. But what about verses 9 to 11 then? His prayer. His prayer. So we've seen the Apostle Paul's passion for the church at Philippi. This is 3 to 8. What about his prayer? This is 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul's prayer for the local church at Philippi is really just verse 9, isn't it? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that is his prayer. It's quite a simple prayer, really. And verses 10 to 11 is basically what will happen if his prayer is answered. So the prayer is verse 9, and then the effect of the answered prayer is verses 10 and 11. So what is his prayer? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So the church at Philippi is obviously a very loving church. It's such a generous church, isn't it? Such a kind church. And their love was abounding. They were becoming more and more loving. But the Apostle Paul's prayer is that their love would abound more and more. (laughs) You need to go to the max, isn't it? And keep going to infinity and beyond, isn't it? With your love. Keep going, keep going. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul's saying, you're a loving church, your love is abounding, but don't become complacent. Don't become complacent. And I have noticed that as a church, we do get a lot of very nice compliments. Have you noticed that? Like Connor and Megan. Do you know what they've said about this church? That they experience love when they come here. That's why they keep coming, isn't it? When do they come? The Sunday before Easter. And they've kept coming because they've experienced love. We can easily sit back saying, hey, I'm to a great church. Someone who comes in here says that they feel loved. People say that we're a friendly church. Oh, don't sit back now, isn't it? Keep going. We need to become even more friendly, even more loving, isn't it? So the Apostle Paul saying, keep going. Don't be complacent. And that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, I've, I've read um, my, my Greek interlinear here. And apparently, well, it looks as if the NIV have made a bit of a pig's ear of Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Where it says knowledge, the literal Greek is recognition, acknowledgement. So that your love may abound more and more in recognition, acknowledgement. And I think that fits in with the context of the book of Philippians. It seems as if in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is giving the church 
at Philippi, a mild rebuke about their pride. And I think the church at Philippi were maybe slightly proud. They were proud of the fact that they were Roman citizens, weren't they? And then in chapter 2, he gives them quite a strong teaching on the humility of Christ. And he says, that's your example. So, local church at Philippi, when you are being loving and generous, and people tell you that you're loving and generous, you need to give God all the recognition. You need to acknowledge that it's God that's at work at you. So when Megan and Connor sort of tell us, oh, you're such a loving church, oh, no, no, it's not us. It's Jesus at work in us. To him be the glory and the honor, isn't it? And when people come to Jolly Tots, apparently we've got the best toddler group in England. <laughs> no, in the area, isn't it? In Bracknell. That's what people say, don't they? Say, oh, this is the best toddler group. It, it's very easy to feel a bit proud, isn't it? Oh, we're doing a great job. But we don't. We say, well, ask God to work through us, isn't it? We have to give him all the recognition. Give him all the acknowledgement. Don't boast or become proud. Give God the glory for anything good that you do. And then, where it says depth of insight, that is discernment. The literal Greek is one word, discernment. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in recognition, acknowledgement, and discernment. And I think that is so key. It's so important that we're discerning with our love. So let's say that we're naturally quite a loving and generous church. We need to be discerning with our love. What do I mean by that? Sometimes, what we think is the most loving thing to do might not always be the best thing to do. Does that make sense? What we think is the most loving thing to do might not always be the best thing to do. So we need to pray for discernment, that we would use our love properly, that we'd use our generosity and our kindness properly. We've all heard of the phrase, haven't we? Sort of tough love. Sometimes you need to be cruel to be kind. I knew of a couple, uh, Graham and Janet, and they had a son who was a, a drug addict, And they just thought, we just need to love him. Just need to keep loving him, not give up on him. And he would disappear for days, then he'd come back, and then he'd steal from his parents, he'd abuse his parents, then he'd disappear. And they kept welcoming him back, saying, we just need to keep loving him, keep loving him. And this went on for years. And then they had to say, I'm not sure if we're loving him. We need some tough love here. We need to be cruel, to be kind. So then he'd turn up again one day and they said, no more, no more. We love you, we've got to let you go. And they said it was the most painful and hardest thing they ever had to do. And then Daniel had to live on the streets and he ended up going to a church where he really met with God. And he went through a Christian rehab program And now he's clean. He's a godly, strong young man who's married with children. 
What if Graham and Janet would have kept saying, oh, come on, there you go, Danielle, welcoming him back into the house all the time. No, they had to say, no more. We've got to let you go so you can learn from your mistakes. So that maybe you will go to the pigsty, isn't it? Come to your senses and truly repent and meet God in power. So important that we pray for this discernment in our love. And I remember in the church in Swansea, we uh, had to pray for real discernment in this area. On a Friday night, we used to go out in the city of Swansea and we used to take tracts with us and little John's Gospels and we'd try and get into conversations with people. Can we talk to you about Jesus? Can we invite you to church? Can we give you a John's Gospel? Can we give you this tract? And then they started something in Swansea called the Street Pastors where you'd give people sort of lollipops, bottles of water, maybe flip-flops for the ladies who lost their shoes or if their heel broke or whatever, and you'd help sort of drunk people into taxis. So the street pastor saying, we want you as a church to get involved, but you're not allowed to preach Jesus to people. All we want to do is show them sort of practical kindness, show them practical love. So we sort of really wrestled with this. What is the best thing to do? Do we get involved with this, or do we carry on what we're doing? So we're to pray for God's discernment. And we believe God was telling us, you need to keep preaching the gospel, because that's the most loving thing. That's what these people need. More than lollipops, or bottles of water, or flip-flops, or being taken to a taxi. And we saw fruit from that as well. Because someone said, I didn't need someone to give me lollipops, a bottle of water, flip-flops, and help me into a taxi. I needed someone to come up to me and tell me there's more to life than this. And that was the title of one of the tracks we had. That's what I needed more than anything, someone to give me a track that said, there's more to life than this. So important that we're discerning with our love. What we think is the most loving thing to do might not always be the right thing, the best thing to do, the loving thing to do. We need God's wisdom and help from this. We need to search the scriptures and pray earnestly. So when we're discerning with our love, verses 10 and 11 will happen. What do we read there? So that you may be able to discern, the original Greek there is approve, so that you may be able to approve what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when Christ returns, when Christ returns, he'll be able to say, well done. You were discerning with your love. You did what was best. Yeah, maybe everyone was telling you, oh, no, no, you need to just give water, lollipops, flip-flops, take people into taxis. But you did what was best. You gave people the gospel, what would really change their lives. And Jesus would tell Graham and Janet, you did what was right there. Yeah, you were right to say, no more. We have to let you go. We're going to have to let you go. 
So that this person sort of went to the pigsty and came to his senses. So important that on the day of judgment, that Christ will see the work that we did. In your love, you were discerning. You didn't do what was popular, or you did what was best. Such a powerful prayer, isn't it? Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. So this is maybe uh, my paraphrase uh, of Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is the prayer for us as a church to pray for each other. May our love abound more and more, giving you all the glory and the honor. Please help us to be discerning in how to show love so that we may approve what is best and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. Amen.